and welcome back to Favorite Things uh, here for the middle of October and we are launching into our countdown of 2021 as we head towards Christmas and our end of year movies uh, so we're going to be going over the Spider-Man franchise the Ghostbusters franchise uh, we'll have some order uh, not a ton uh, we'll do the Sam Raimi movies we'll do uh, at least the first two Ghostbusters if not the first two plus the 2016 remake uh, then we'll be going over the uh, Mark Webb Spider-Man series the two new MCU Spider-Man movies and at some point in there I'd also like to hit the Spider-Man film into the Spider-Verse but uh, just going to start by saying I've had a lovely day with you today. It has been a lovely day. Uh, starting off with a nice hike out to Puckett's Groceries yeah. for, uh, for breakfast. And uh, then coming back and watching the DC fandom. And <laughs> I didn't know there was that much DC Comics stuff coming. And I am so excited. Uh, Good. Everything from uh, Shazam and Black Adam to the Batman and all the video games and TV shows and movies. And there is more DC Comics stuff coming than I could possibly imagine. The only thing we don't have on, on the horizon uh, that I'm hoping we get in the very near future is another Superman movie. Okay. But we are getting some Superman right now in Superman and Lois, so yes. I'm happy with that. But, uh, yeah, it's been a really good week, and so last night we sat down and for the first time in a while watched the 2002 uh, movie that next year will be celebrating 20 years. It's crazy. Uh, Spider-Man. And so, what, what did you think, uh, let me hit this in two, two parts, what did you think when you first saw it, one, and then part two of that... What did you think revisiting it? Yeah. Well, like I mentioned to you last night, it that was probably my first real like Marvel type movie. Mm-hmm. So as we talked about, it was not necessarily considered part of the Marvel. There wasn't a Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes, that's not not for another six but, years. Um, I remember back then I liked it. I thought it was really good. Um, yeah, I didn't see anything wrong with it um I just thought it was a really fun movie uh huh um and I think I saw it in theater back then mm-hmm. so um but no I liked it back when it came out mm-hmm. so now it was okay mm-hmm. um I like the newer Spider-Man better yeah <laughs> for sure I understand um that. I don't know I there's just something about the, the characters and everything that, I don't know, it's just not what it needed to be. So, I I hear you. Very much I hear you. Uh-huh. And I even understand where you're coming from. And I've heard that critique several times. Um, so, for me, I saw this uh, the Saturday after it came out, uh, just a short ways from here at Shady Brook Cinemas with my little sister. Um, and as apparently is a tradition with me when I see uh, superhero movies opening weekend, uh, right before an action scene, the power went out. Oh, gosh. Uh, but fortunately, it's pulled back up and we only missed about, I don't know, 
15, 20 seconds of the film. Not like when but, I saw the... Uh, Iron Man and we missed about yeah. three minutes. Uh, no, this was... I remember absolutely adoring it because superhero movies for me up to this point, we had the Batman movies, we had the Superman movies. Mm-hmm. And while those had ranged from in the course of their run, ironically, both with four movie runs, really, really, really good to hyper silly and I can't believe they made this levels of bad. Like, I I think the, the last movies in those franchises are good, but they're good in the it's so bad, it's good yeah. way. Um, oh, excuse me. And oh. then there were a few false starts for Marvel. Um, they'd done some TV movies. Uh, and I'll talk about that in just a little bit. Um, but the two times they attempted to make big screen movies they were massive false starts they've done a Captain America movie in 1990 or 1991 uh, starring the son of author J.D. Salinger Matt Salinger as Captain America and when I saw it in 1992 on HBO uh, because it was not released in theaters in the US um, I thought it was the greatest thing ever I mean how old were you? So I was seven. Okay. So yeah. That's right. I, I can do math. So it was, yeah. It. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> uh, having watched it since then, I can attest that it is not. Um, <laughs> uh, it is. It is unique, um, and I still have an appreciation for that film. But I can also say that it's bad. Yeah. Um, and then there was a movie that was made of the Fantastic Four that was literally made so that they could keep the rights the the film company made it so that they could keep the film rights to Fantastic Four and it was so bad <laughs> that they never released it you can find it on YouTube uh, uh, Roger Corman directed the Fantastic Four um, and it is considered one of the worst movies ever made um, to our listeners, here in a minute, we're going to have a, a beep, and that's going to signal a, a transition because we've got an instant pot going. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, this this was the third Marvel movie after Blade, mm-hmm. uh, Blade the Vampire Hunter, and X Men to really be cinematic, serious Marvel movies, and I use serious very lacks uh, in a very lax manner uh, everything before this moment as far as superhero m- movies um, before Spider-Man mm-hmm. or BS for short um, <laughs> was uh, it was either grounded they they brought the material down to a level that it was like okay we can we can believe this in this world um, so if you have a Superman movie, Superman's the only superhero. Or a Batman movie, there's no other superheroes, it's just Batman. Yeah. And, um, and even in those, you, you bring the power level to be what it is. Superman is very much a, a fantasy movie. Uh, Batman is kind of a crime noir movie where he has James Bond gadgets. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we go that way and everything 
either stays in that lane of it's a fantasy movie or it's a crime noir or it becomes super silly to the point that when Joel Schumacher was directing uh, the Batman sequels, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, before a take with his actors, he would go in and go, all right, everybody, remember, it's just a cartoon. All right, action. And it comes out in the performances. No one is taking their performance seriously. Mm -hmm. The whole thing is very schlocky and very silly. And there's enjoyment to be had in those movies. But before Spider-Man, we didn't really get something that kind of married the silliness and the seriousness of comic books. We're going to take a short break so that we don't have a loud beep on our podcast. When we come back, we'll continue talking about the 2002 film Spider-Man. All right, so it's 2002. Um, Marvel releases this movie it's two years after x-men x-men uh made by brian singer the year 2000 it's a colossal hit it's a more grounded take on these superheroes they're a lot more fantastical in the comic books but they've taken this serious ish approach to telling the story uh same with blade uh both of these they they made the movies and comic book movies are now becoming kind of taken seriously and so they're marvel already has spider-man on books by the time x-men comes out they have it on the books what a lot of people don't know is a spider-man movie had been in the works almost as long as an x-men movie had been uh, since the 1990s and uh, something else a lot of people don't know is that the Marvel of today is not the Marvel of the 1990s. Uh, the Marvel of the 1990s almost went bankrupt. Um, they speculated on the comic book market, on the collector's market, and when that bubble popped, uh, their money went bye-bye. And they went from being the top dog in 1991 when they sold the highest uh, selling comic book of all time, X-Men number one, uh, to they couldn't give away their comic books. And so they were, they're on the verge of bankruptcy and, and they were broke. And so they licensed out all of their properties. Uh, New Line Cinema uh, got properties like Blade, uh, Sony got Spider-Man, uh, Fox got the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, Daredevil, and Ghost Rider. Um, and all these properties are farmed out to these studios. Do what you want with them. Make your own movie. Um, we'll be here to give creative insight, and that's pretty much it. And so, as these first couple of movies come out, you you can see in the in the level of filmmaking, they're very tentative in, in making these superhero movies because Batman and Robin comes out in 1997. Okay, and at that point, people were starting to think, you know, do we really want to make superhero movies? Because Batman comes out $100 million, which at the time was a lot of money. Big, big hit. Batman Returns comes out, doesn't make quite as much money. 
Uh, Batman Forever comes out and makes a ton of money because it's a lot more family friendly, but it's critically just kind of mediocre. And then Batman and Robin comes out and doesn't make as much money as they want, and it is critically panned. Yeah. And so, on top of that, you've got flops, um, like, and these are financial flops. Critically, they get mixed reactions, but uh, The Rocketeer, uh, you've got The Shadow, you've got The Phantom, uh, Spawn comes out in 1997, which is a more modern take. So all of these movies come out. Superhero movies aren't a guaranteed hit. Um, it's because of this that in 1997, uh, Tim Burton is neck deep in pre-production on a Superman film starring Nicolas Cage <laughs> called Superman Lives uh, with a script written by Kevin Smith. That movie had posters made, had actually shipped to some theaters. Uh, they were ready to go in production. You can actually find production stills of Nicolas Cage in the Superman costume. <laughs> they are in fittings, ready to go. And they go, nope, we're not going to do it. Uh, Batman and Robin flop. There is no way. No way we are doing this movie. We are not investing this much money. We're going to we're gonna cash out and not make the movie. Yeah. Um, Marvel at this point is desperate for money. They farm out their superheroes and so the movie studios kind of hold them tight. Scripts are being produced every few months to couple years. Um, at the point that all of this is going down in about 1998, Jim Cameron has just finished Titanic and just swept awards. Okay, so 1997, Titanic comes out. It is the biggest movie in the universe. And Jim Cameron is sitting there and he's pondering what he wants to do next. Spider-Man has been in the ethos for is as being up for grabs for long enough. Jim Cameron goes, you know what? I've got an idea for this. And so he goes out and he writes a Spider-Man script. And this movie is how can I phrase this? It's bad. You can read the script for James Cameron's <laughs> Spider-Man. It is a weird, weird, weird movie. It is probably on the R-rated side of things. <laughs> and I don't know any other way to describe it, but it is a horny movie. Uh, where it's all about Peter Parker's sex drive. All right. And uh, it's, it's weird. Uh, the villain of the movie is uh, Dr. Octopus, who uh, James Cameron wanted to be played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. He wanted Leonardo DiCaprio to play Spider-Man, uh, Peter Parker, which I do think is a good choice uh, at this time. Yeah. Um, and so as they're gearing up for this project that may or may not uh, ever take off, uh, people are kind of in, they're kind of out, they do some tests, they're trying to figure out whether they could convincingly portray Spider-Man. Before this time, the only live-action Spider-Man there's ever been was a 1970s uh, television series uh, called The Amazing Spider-Man. You can look this up. Um, it's, uh, it's a 1970s uh, <laughs> television superhero program. That's all I'll say. 
it's not terrible. Uh, it is actually single-handedly responsible for me becoming interested in the character of Spider-Man. Okay. Uh, my cousin, Michael, um, we were staying at his house, and he had a VHS with the <laughs> pilot episode of the, of the Spider-Man uh, TV show. And it is very 1970s. Uh, there are no superpowered bad guys in the pilot. It's all bank robbers and stuff. The special effects are a 1970s superhero TV show. Um, but it introduced me to the concept of Spider-Man. I got some library books after that about Spider-Man. And I was hooked on the characters and hooked on comics. And it, it went from there in, in the 90s. So... Anytime anyone is doing anything with Spider-Man, uh, they film a brick wall on the ground and they've got a man uh, walking or crawling across it. Yeah. And then they have a guy shoot a, a rope on a grapple gun and then he swings and it looks like a guy swinging on a rope. <laughs> and it never looks great. And so... Around this time, CGI is really taking off, and uh, especially with Lord of the Rings films and everything else, uh, everyone is like, okay, are special effects there? Can we do this? So, um, James Cameron's production company, James Cameron at this point is kind of starting to have second thoughts about directing. He, at this money, has so much money he doesn't need to direct. He's really getting into uh, going underwater and visiting the actual Titanic on a submarine. Um, <laughs> he he got really into uh, into submarine diving. I'm pretty sure he's officially rated, and uh, he's one of the few people who's been down the, to the Titanic multiple times. Um, but his script is the basis for the project that's going to go forward, and the. Uh, the studio likes the idea. They've got a CGI test. They know they can do a Spider-Man story. And so they go hunting for directors. Sam Raimi comes on board. At this point, Sam Raimi has done uh, the Evil Dead trilogy. Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and then Army of Darkness. Um, those are all horror movies uh, for anyone who's curious. Uh, but he is a guy who can make a movie that will get that will be made on a small budget with relatively unknown actors and it will almost guaranteed bring in more money than went out um there are a couple of exceptions to that uh sam raimi uh made a 1995 western called the quick and the dead which actually starred a bunch of big name actors and did not bring in that much money. Uh, it actually starred a, before he was really big, Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, and so Sam Raimi has this really weird script that he's actively trying to retool, uh, where Spider-Man is fighting Dr. Octopus. At a few other moments, there are other villains that pop in. Uh, Sandman, the Vulture, uh, and he's trying to figure out what he wants to do with this story. They know they want to do a Spider-Man origin story. So as they're working through things, eventually Green Goblin comes into the mix and 
they start realizing that one of the problems with old superhero movies like Batman and Robin, Batman Forever, all these old movies, the big problem is there are too many characters. So they start weeding back and weeding back. Eventually they get it down to it's going to be a Spider-Man and Green Goblin story. And so they start casting, they go out. Again, Leonardo DiCaprio, along with several other actors, are considered. Uh, eventually, it comes down to Tobey Maguire, who is in Leonardo DiCaprio's entourage at the time, uh, and James Franco. Uh, another third runner-up is uh, Joe Manganiello, who ends up playing Flash Thompson. Uh, James Franco plays Harry Osborn in the film. And so... All of this is going through. You can actually, on the special features of the Spider-Man uh, digital copy and Blu-ray, you can watch Tobey Maguire's screen test, which is... <laughs> so weird. It is weird, but if you watch it, it is the scene from uh, the kind of the midpoint of the movie where Spider-Man takes down Mary Jane's muggers yeah. uh, in the rain. And in the movie, it is one of the most compelling scenes in the movie. Uh, and... We'll, we'll get into it as we discuss the movie proper, but it is this very stark, very comic booky, very iconic scene. Uh, and it... Had they shot Tobey Maguire in the whole of the Spider-Man movie, the way they shot him in that screen test and in that scene, I would believe in Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man. I do not believe in Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we, we can get into it. The movie is made, uh, they make it with, again, at the time, relatively unknowns. Uh, they're known quantities for, for independent movies and projects, James Franco. Uh, Kirsten Dunst is probably, uh, out of the whole of the cast, for me, at the time, the most well-known actor in the project. Willem Dafoe, is a powerhouse that uh, does not get nearly enough appreciation and he gets ton of tons of appreciation um this this movie honestly is is simultaneously worse than you remember it and better than you remember yeah. it and that's a very complex way to look at it but i i appreciate this movie more than i like this movie yeah so I appreciate Spider-Man 2002 because it has guts. It it goes hard, and I applaud Sam Raimi for having a distinct point of view on this film. Um, it is very much a Sam Raimi film, and I appreciate it as a Sam Raimi film. Um, it is it is a 1960s Spider-Man movie to the point that I wish they had said it in the 1960s. Yeah. Because I feel like it would it would have aged better. All <laughs> of all of the colors if you if you noticed are very bright and pulpy in the film. Uh it it's odd for that time in filmmaking for things to pop off the screen that way. Uh it it felt almost cartoon like, I feel like you could take this movie, and if there's anyone who can get Columbia Pictures and Marvel Pictures uh, permission to do this, cell shade this thing, 
and make it into a basically a live action cartoon. It would work. It it almost works better as yeah. a as a cartoon. It is so heightened. It is so unreal. Um, at a couple of the different points, you and I made observations about weird things that happen in the movie. <laughs> And I, I made the statement, it's the first time I've ever been able to make this connection. I said, honey, this movie exists in a world where no rules of actual reality apply. Yeah. Like, at any point, someone could moonwalk off of a bridge and keep moonwalking in the air. It is a cartoon. Yeah. And I think I enjoy that. I enjoy it especially detached from any cinematic universe because it is its own thing and in 2021 in a world where we now have not only the marvel cinematic universe but the marvel cinematic multiverse we'll talk about that shortly um and the dc cinematic universe and shortly the dc cinematic multiverse and you have all of these you have all of these projects that are all intertwined to the point that becomes near exhausting having to remember the rules yeah and i miss a simpler time where this is the movie and then the next one this is the sequel to the movie and then the next one this is the sequel to the movie and at most you got three movies yeah occasionally you would get four but it was slim and even in movies where it goes longer the rules kind of become like James Bond, where each movie, even if it's a sequel, is its own thing. It doesn't necessarily have to play into the last movie. And most of the time, it's better if it doesn't. And so this this movie is playing by those classic cinematic rules, but also trying really hard to be a, a Spider-Man comic book. And in those ways, I think by playing by its own rules, while mixing in elements of the Spider-Man comic book, it really works while simultaneously feeling weird. Yeah. Uh, Tobey Maguire is, I'm going to say, he is an actor that is so hit or miss for me in any given project, I either fully buy him or I utterly reject the movie he's in because of him. Yeah. And I, I somehow buy him in Seabiscuit, uh, I, I really appreciate him in that movie. Uh, the movie Pleasantville, absolutely uh, enjoy him in. He, even in 2002, Borderline almost pulled me out of this movie. And in subsequent Spider-Man movies, does pull me out. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk more about those when we get to those films. But, because he feels... At the same time, older and younger than his character. He feels like a 10-year-old boy and a 35-year-old man <laughs> within a minute of each other and in any given scene. And his Peter Parker is so gee golly, gee whiz yeah. that it irritates me. Um, but... I also understand where Sam Raimi as a filmmaker is coming from for this version of these characters. It's the 1960s yeah. Amazing Fantasy 15 Spider-Man that is a two-dimensional character. My question about him 
like Who? Spider-Man from the comics and yes. all that before. Was he the loner that he is in this movie? So, yes. Uh, up until the 1980s, Spider-Man, for the most part, operated on its own. Okay. I just think of, like, the bullying and all that stuff, everybody making fun of him, the bus driver wouldn't even stop mm. the bus, and, so, and I'm like, that we'll, bus driver was getting fired. So, we'll, <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get back to that when we talk about the plot yeah. of the movie, but, no, in the comic books, especially the, the 60s and 70s, especially those early issues with Peter Parker is the classic nerd and uh, something that Stan Lee and Steve Ditko were great at in those early comic books uh, was they were trying to tell heightened human stories and so it's the story about a bullied kid who gets superpowers and that's an interesting story Uh, it was originally a one-off story and it was popular enough that they got a spin-off comic book but that's the original story and Sam Raimi takes that and runs with it in this yeah. uh, one of the things that rolls over into this film from the old Jim Cameron uh, script is the organic web shooters which I really enjoy um, because it streamlines the storytelling for the movie why does Spider-Man have uh, able to shoot webs because he's able to Yeah. that's it and it's the same as why is Superman able to fly because he is and now we would have a 20 minute scene explaining why he's able to shoot webs or he would do what he does in the two most recent uh versions of the character he builds web shooters yeah and even that comes with its own explanation but this is very similar to the 1978 superman film this is a fantasy and it's a it's a power fantasy for nerds it's a power fantasy where the nerd who gets picked on and is creepy. He is super yeah. creepy. Um, he he stares at girls, takes pictures of them. Uh, he never talks to them. Uh, but when he takes on the superhero persona, is desired by them, and then gets to reject them. Yeah. It is the nerd's superhero power fantasy. Yeah, and it's. It's icky in all the ways that you would think it is, but at the same time, it's what the comic book was. And it's if a nerd, if a if a guy who was a social outcast, who had lived on the outside, was given basically complete power and the most basic of responsibility, what would he do? And you get this movie. And he does a lot of good, but he does a lot of wrong, and that rolls over into the subsequent films that we'll talk about, but even in this one, is is Spider-Man a superhero? Yes and no. Uh, he, uh, he is responsible for multiple deaths, uh, and he spends most of his time kind of operating as a stalker, and uh, also... I don't know. It's films and 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 concepts like heroism are always very complicated. Like I would make the same argument for Superman, Batman, or any of the others. But Spider-Man in this, and I think it's the way that Tobey Maguire plays Peter Parker. It comes off as creepy. Yeah. And 
I having seen Tobey Maguire in other films I think because of it being a heightened performance it does not lend itself well to the character yeah but I think that's also taking the character too seriously <laughs> and I, I want I'm chastising myself here and if you're like yeah go after it no understand this is such a silly movie you cannot take it seriously yeah uh, this is a film that you need to turn your brain off and watch and enjoy. When we come back in just a moment, we're going to talk about the things we enjoyed and the things that pulled us out of the enjoyment for Spider-Man 2002. So... Right off the bat, Spider-Man 2002 starts off really, really well. Um, before we talked about successful and unsuccessful uh, superhero films, and Sam Raimi got the best, up to this point, superhero composer outside of John Williams, and that's Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman, up to this point, had done the Batman theme uh, for Batman uh, 1989 and Batman Returns 1992, both of which are fantastic motion picture scores. Um, and he does the score for this film, and it is phenomenal. Uh, it, it creates an atmosphere of... There's almost a sense of destiny uh, to the Spider-Man character and it's almost mythic and it's it's a grand score. Uh, I, I think it it is quite possibly the most perfect score you could have for this film. It I would say it elevates it to another level. And so we get the score, we get introduced to creepy nerdy Parker uh, and very quickly, we, we go to the place where uh, they're going on a school field trip. Uh, he is constantly being uh, harassed and abused by bullies. Um, and he is, he is just... Uh, school is hell for this kid. Yeah. Um, God, God help this child. <laughs> We're introduced to... Uh, Peter's before life. His before life is he lives with his aunt and uncle, who I think are great aunt and great uncle, but he just shortened it, it yeah, to it aunt and uncle because his aunt and uncle are near 70 and he is supposed to be 18. Yeah. And um, so this is this is an area, again, this is just like the the Amazing Fantasy 15, where for whatever reason, his aunt and uncle are ancient. Um, but this whole movie is a send-up of that early Spider-Man story. So, <laughs> whenever you start to, to uh, reality, push reality out, this is a 1960s comic book brought to 2002. I feel like that's a thing, like any older like comics or cartoons that you see when there's like an aunt or something in there with a young child... It's always this old great grandmotherly kind of. Oh, you mean like Aunt B? Yeah, well, Aunt B took was 
Andy's aunt. And so that's just what, like, she was a great aunt or something like that. You, you can, you can say that. But I mean, here's explained in Andy Griffith. I barely. <laughs> and but if you watch anything after that initial episode. Opie's calling her Aunt B. Yeah. And every and every time yeah. he goes around, he's calling her Aunt B. Yeah. And, and so And I think technically she wasn't an aunt. She was just like Andy's nanny growing up, and so that's what he called her. That I know, but, but anyway. I I'm telling you. Yeah. Like it it raises the question, are these his biological aunt and uncle? Yeah. And so again, this is bringing reality into something <laughs> that was never meant to hold reality. This is this is trying to walk an elephant across the two by four. It is a bad <laughs> idea. Um, side note, if you are interested in uh, a humorous commentary on these films, uh, Kind of Funny did a Spider-Man in review uh, a couple of years back and is getting ready to re-review these films. I highly recommend them. They're funny, irreverent, uh, definitely get ready for blue language, but very, very, it, it's a good time. Uh, <laughs> Uh, back to the movie. Uh, so, this this movie, we get the before. Life is bad. It's the classic hero's journey. Uh, everything's mundane and terrible. He is just scraping by. Um, honestly, if they would have shown him go to his closet and go, this is the week I shoot up the school, um, <laughs> I would have I would have believed it. Um but uh, instead, Harry goes on the class field trip. Um, he has a very creepy crush on Mary Jane Watson, played by uh, Kirsten Dunst. Uh, we're introduced to uh, Harry Osborne, uh, who is apparently Peter's best friend, even though he just moved to the school. Uh, we're introduced to uh, Norman Osborne, who is simultaneously in every conversation with Harry and Peter nice to Peter, but awful to Harry. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah. Uh, Willem Dafoe is fantastic in this movie. And I feel like Sam Raimi's instruction was like, alright, what I want you to do is I want you to pick one person in the scene to be nice to and just be a jerk to everyone else. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, Willem Dafoe's fantastic in this movie. We go on the class field trip. They, they're apparently at the world's most top secret lab uh, where uh, we're taking a look at these genetically engineered uh, spiders. Uh, there are several of them, by the way. And uh, one just happens to get loose. Uh, bites, bites Peter uh, on the hand. And... Uh, so right off the bat, um, this is the worst lab on the planet. Yeah. Yeah, there are 15 of them. I only see 14. Oh, they oh, must have it. Oh, they must have it. Why don't you go check, Janice? Why don't you go check the lab? Uh, it's... I mean, even at the zoo, if, there's, if you don't see the spider or the animal in there, there's a note that says, off exhibit. So in the in the original Amazing Amazing Fantasy fifteen, which again is is science fiction and it's it's got its own set of logic problems. Uh, 
Peter is watching a demonstration of like radiation and a spider wanders in. It's an accident. And then the spider bites him. And it's it's classic. During the 1960s, everything was radiation. Everything was uh, the because of the atom bomb. Yeah. Uh, in Fantastic Four, they're going to space to beat the Russians. Everything at that time was atomic. So now we're in the 2000s, and everything's genetics. Uh, the year before, uh, a lot of uh, statements on. Uh, what genetic testing was and wasn't allowed had been made it, it's the big thing of the 2000s we're not really worried about atomic era anymore this, yeah. it's all genetics so back to the movie spider gets out a spider that was apparently hand painted uh, <laughs> in behind the scenes facts uh, bites Peter and uh, instead of going to the doctor or the school nurse or anything uh, just goes home and goes to bed yeah um, in a world that we have been through nearly two years of COVID-19 uh, and its variants, anyone comes in looking like Peter, I'm like, no, dude, you're going to the doctor. Yeah. We are taking you in. You're getting tested for everything. Yeah. Like, uh, he was sweaty. He can barely walk. He has, he has deep bags under his <laughs> eyes and then starts tripping balls in his room. <laughs> He's sitting there and just uh, he's shaking under a quilt. And Aunt May and Uncle Ben are downstairs like, Oh, you think he's high? Oh, I'm pretty sure he got into the crystal meth. He'll be fine. <laughs> and uh, at the same time, it it's a really Sam Raimi scene where we get what's going on in Peter's head. And it looks like a bad drug trip. Yeah. Uh, I actually really appreciate Sam Raimi's craziness because it's very comic booky. Uh, his film Dark Man is a spectacular comic booky action horror movie, um, starring Liam Neeson, a very young Liam Neeson. Nice. Uh, so simultaneously to Peter just having a really bad drug trip. Uh, Norman Osborn is being ousted in his company um, that he owns. Um, even if he has a board, he is a he is on the board of directors, and he is going to have some sway. He's the chief of the lab. Uh, they they've told him, "Hey, uh, we're we're not going to renew your contract with the Department of Defense," <laughs> uh, and. Uh, and then he's got this doctor who's talking to the general who's on the defense board and says, I think we should take this back to formula. And as soon as that general left, I would be like, hey, Ted, um, why don't you clean out your desk? You're fired. Why? You literally just told our bread and butter that we should take this back to formula. That was our money. You're fired. But instead, he invites that guy to his top secret, late night, totally illegal human test of the drug. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, you know, guy that betrayed me, you're my only confidant as I'm going <laughs> to test this drug on myself. Yeah. That's a bad idea wrapped in a terrible idea. Yeah. So Norman tests this stuff on himself. Uh, 
gets in in the chamber, gasses himself with this thing that everyone knows in a small portion causes insanity. Which, I have to be honest, again, this is this is a crunch wrap supreme of terrible ideas. <laughs> and anyhow, so he of course goes crazy because this is a monster movie wrapped yeah. in a superhero movie. And uh, we get some great face acting by Willem Dafoe. Just, uh, back to formula. It just... <laughs> Uh, we'll get into it in a little bit, and he's, it's fantastic. It's great for the character. Yeah. Um, I'll get into why it, it's simultaneously great and horrible, but, um, that's, those are the choices that are made, and that's what we get. Uh, the next day, uh, Peter Parker wakes up, and he has significantly more muscle mass, which anyone would notice immediately. <laughs> um goes to school um, finds out that he has spider powers like web and he sticks to stuff and we it's it's a really nice uh, illusion to puberty and uh, and so he's just having fun with puberty and uh, tests out his spider powers and uh, we find out that he He's shirking responsibility with his aunt and uncle uh, not coming home to help paint, even though they really shouldn't be painting because his uncle's been laid off yeah. and paint is really expensive. Yeah. Um, and uh, in the meantime, uh, Norman Osborn's like, oh, someone was murdered? That's horrible. Well, back to work. Doop, 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 doop. And so we get these side-by-side stories and this is something i really like about the sam raimi the first two sam raimi movies is each movie is two movies running simultaneously they're the the movie of how peter parker is really bad at being a human being but kind of good at being spider-man yeah and then it's the monster movie that is the villain of that movie and uh norman osborne gradually discovering that he's this other character the green goblin is actually kind of fun in this movie it's it's very much a 1930s dr jekyll and mr hyde story and and so it's a shame in a bit when uh, after he's taken out the, the military contractors who are about to give away the military contract, that he is stuck in a mask and is not getting to display the craziness that is his face. <laughs> because in the comic books, it's it's like a rubber like prosthesis, like mask. And so when he's the Green Goblin, it's this green goblin mask and they actually tested out an animatronic goblin mask Mm -hmm. and either that or even some way of just a prosthetic on top of Willem Dafoe's mask uh, a face would have been I think it we would have gotten more out of Willem Dafoe's crazy face yeah 
um, because Willem Dafoe goes between these grounded sections as Norman to he is off the wall. And I love both. Yeah. Uh, and I love the swings in between. But when he's wearing that mask, it's just this mask. And then it's all one color, and it's <laughs> it's such a loss. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, going back... Going back to this movie, it still somehow works for this movie. It's <laughs> it, it's a detraction, but not a it it doesn't ruin it for me. Uh, so Norman, every time there's an obstacle, Green Goblin comes in and takes it out. Peter, in the meantime, has discovered that he he wants to he wants to capitalize on his newfound uh, growth spurt, for lack of a better term, in <laughs> uh, spider powers, and he wants to impress Mary Jane. Uh, he catches uh, he catches Mary Jane's tray when she drops it. She fights the school bully or he fights the school bully and Mary Jane's boyfriend uh, and uh, decides after all of this that he wants to, to buy a car to impress MJ. And something I'd never really thought about as a grown as a person until watching it this most recent time is so Flash Thompson played by young uh, Joe Manganiello uh, drives up in this at the time probably $30,000, $40,000 car that his parents obviously bought him yeah. and, and and drives off with MJ and Peter's like oh I can get a car and he starts looking through the ad and he starts off looking at cars like Flashes, and it's thirty, forty thousand dollars, and then he scrolls to the gently used, and it's like fifteen, twenty thousand, and he scrolls to the to the used, and it's still like seven to ten thousand, yeah. and then he gets to the clunker section, and it's like uh, might overheat, and he's getting down to around three thousand dollars, and it's. It's a sports car, but it's a beat to, to hell and back sports car. And it's got all these caveats underneath <laughs> it, like really needs work, overheats, needs a new engine. I've never noticed that before. <laughs> yeah, if you read the ads, it, he's getting a body that might fall apart the minute it rolls off the... There's yeah. no guarantee it's even getting off the lot under its own power. So, like, he's buying it from, like, the junkyard or something. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I was watching it this time, and I was like, oh my gosh, he's a child. And I remember being a child and thinking, just because you had a car, you had freedom, and it was going to get you everywhere. You didn't think about the fact that it had to run. Yeah. You didn't think about stuff like gas insurance or repairs you didn't think about any of that man that nine hundred dollars i spent that's going to get me everywhere you didn't think about all the work of new tires or the fact that you needed a new engine or that you needed a new battery or any of the other stuff yeah. and he's like all right if i can get three thousand dollars she's mine and he 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 daydreams in the movie he he sees MJ smile and he's like, yeah. And the car from the ad flies across in this daydream. And for all of the heightened stuff that you're like, man, this is so off the wall and doesn't really fit with reality. I'm like, that's reality. 
That is a teenager who is thinking entirely with his libido and with <laughs> no brain. And and just, he's like, if I have a car, I can get a girl. And it is so perfect. Yeah. It is so perfect as a commentary on a teenager. And I was like, I did not catch that at 16 years old <laughs> because I was that teenager. That's hilarious. Um, but I love that. Anyhow, so he goes off and he he finds out that uh, colorful colorful costumes are a must in this uh, basically open ring night amateur wrestling night. And so he goes to this wrestling competition and it's... It's a world, in the, in this movie, it's a world where wrestling that you see on TV is not just real, but it's worse. <coughs> it's worse than it looks on TV. Mm-hmm. They are murdering people in the ring. Yeah. Like, a guy is pulled by Peter as he's walking up to the ring who's screaming, Oh, God, I can't feel my legs! I'll never walk again! Somebody help me! <laughs> And they're carrying him up on a stretcher like he's been cut in half. <laughs> and and Randy Savage's bone saw is so perfect and looks roided up beyond measure. He has got veins on his veins and he is just on another level. <laughs> and this this movie again, it heightens reality to this point that it couldn't be reality if it wanted to and so the movie goes forward he fights Bonesaw in the ring beats him gets to the manager's office and the man it is the scummiest manager's office and he even though Peter has signed a contract saying that he won't sue if he gets hurt the the manager just throws a hundred bucks at him he's like no, I'm not going to give you the rest of it. <laughs> and uh, this is a... In movie terms, this is a shortcut. Uh, in the comic book, he actually... The whole thing is he wants more money because he's been appearing on TV shows and stuff as the Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, and and the promoter's not paying him what he wants. And so he he's kind of a jerk about it. And this, he's stiffed on a bill. And then the guy in the same night is robbed. And at gunpoint. At gunpoint. Yes. And the guy running with a gun runs at Peter and Peter steps out of the way. And the cop's like, you let him go. And he's like, yeah, he had a gun. <laughs> yeah. And the Peter robber, didn't say that, though. No, but like, uh... anyone watching is like, yeah. yeah. He had a gun. And at this point, all Peter has done is he knows that he can shoot webs, he can jump really high, and he's stronger than he used to be. Yeah. That's all Peter knows at this point. And so the man with the gun runs down the hall at Peter. Even if I'm Spider-Man, I'm not going to stop him in the hallway. Yeah. In a closed hallway with a bunch of unarmed people and a guy with a gun. I'm going to wait till he's in a place where I feel okay pursuing him. Yeah. So, 
Guy gets outside. Of course, Peter had an argument with his uncle on the way to the wrestling match. Uh, when they had a long enough car ride, they could have had the argument before they got there, <laughs> but they had the argument as Peter's getting out of the car. Yeah. Movie making. Um, uh, Peter cries really hard, uh, and you have seen a gif of this scene. Uh, where bottom lip is out three feet from his face as he cries. Um, and then he chases down the, uh, the thief. And we get, honestly, a scene that still hits really well for me, where he chases the villain through the streets, um, in his homemade costume, uh, (laughs) catches up to him in a warehouse. And then after disarming him, uh, let's him fall to his death. Mm-hmm. And this is the origin of our hero. And nobody goes to investigate the death of this guy that they don't know he's the one that killed somebody else. Yeah, so... Just, there's just nothing ever said about that. So, all of, all of this happens, um, and then we go into our opening montage of Spider-Man. And we're going to take a quick break, because I'm lightheaded from making my... Uh, <laughs> my voice is a bit ago and uh when we come back we're going to talk about the many adventures of the now costume spider-man <laughs> uh we'll be right back all right so we get uh something this movie does a lot of which is montages uh and we see little flashes of spider-man here and there but it's at this point we are introduced to the best character of the movie who is not spider-man <laughs> and that is j jonah jameson played by jk simmons oh yeah and i want you to know it's been said before by other people but i want to reiterate it there are people who were born to play a role J.K. Simmons was born to play J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. He is so good at this that Marvel even has put him into the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon. He has voiced him in video games. He, spoiler alert for the most recent Spider-Man movies, is playing him in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. J.K. Simmons is this character. Yes. And he is so good in the role that it is it has changed the character. It, it's like Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man, Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. It has changed how people perceive this character. Yeah. He is so good, and I enjoy it so much. He is off the wall crazy. And it is right at home in this movie. <laughs> it is so off the wall crazy that the thought of him being in a grounded Marvel movie outside of the the post credit stinger that he's been in recently, I'm like, how do you do it? How do you put him in even a remotely grounded Spider-Man movie? Yeah. I don't know how. Um, he's fantastic. He has a great hairpiece, great mustache. He's chomping the cigar. He's, he's yelling at everybody. Yep. And he's just... Uh, I love him so much, so much in the in that role, and uh, it's through this that we get the idea that 
Uh, he wants pictures of Spider-Man. Peter is not able to get a job doing anything else because he's busy, busy being a superhero and he's yeah. bad at everything else. Yeah. And so uh, we get a scene where he beats up some crooks uh, posing for pictures, <laughs> takes in the pictures to J.K. Simmons, and he does this great look as he's looking through the pictures where he glances up from the pictures at, at Tobey Maguire, glances back at the pictures, glances. And these are pictures that no one would be able to get. Like, no one right. would be able to get. And at no point does he break and go, all right, how did you get these? <laughs> he just goes, I'll give you 50 bucks. <laughs> yeah. And he, it's posturing, and, and he... And he, he turns around when Peter's like, that's a little low. And uh, and every time he pops up throughout this movie, he's J.K. Simmons is perfect. But this is now Peter's revenue stream is taking pictures of himself. Yeah. And, and so we catch up with Mary Jane. Peter's graduated high school. Uh, Mary Jane is apparently working at the worst diner in the world where they make her wear the shortest skirt <laughs> ever. Uh, and uh, she is being uh, just harassed by employees and customers alike. Peter is stalking her, uh, coming down to her place of work. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Harry, who is Peter's roommate, is going out with her but hasn't told Peter, even though he knows that Peter is really creepy into her. Yeah. Um, and no one talks to each other in this movie. <laughs> uh, and that is a theme that will continue throughout this trilogy. No one talks to each other. Peter doesn't talk to Harry. Harry doesn't talk to MJ. MJ, they'll talk to, they'll talk, one will talk to the other, but they will not involve the third person yeah. at all. And everyone recurring theme through this movie and this is something I do appreciate is everyone is constantly coming to Peter and saying don't tell Harry and it's a really good theme that I wish had a really good payoff but it doesn't yeah um but again throughout this film the goblin is getting stronger getting his way uh he thinks all obstacles are out of his way and, and the board of directors is like well, Norman, everything's so well, we're going to sell. And the people who offered to buy us uh, said, uh, you're not part of the deal, so peace. <laughs> and he's like, how am I? And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you talking like that? <laughs> no, no one asks any question about the, the recent murders of uh, people who would be in Norman's way. And he seems <laughs> to be talking like a supervillain in board meetings. Uh, Peter taking pictures. Uh, there's now a World Unity Day, um, which is a weird thing that doesn't exist. Uh, but uh, who I'm guessing is a Sony music uh, icon of the year, Macy Gray, uh, <laughs> is leading up the concert. We get our first meeting between Green Goblin and Spider-Man at the at the event, and for the time. It's a fun superhero scene where Spider-Man saves the day, saves Mary Jane. Uh, she becomes enamored with him, even though uh, in this up-close scene where they're swinging away, uh, her <laughs> hair is moving the wrong way. <laughs> it's so funny. 
Um, and she is just enamored with this person that saved her. Uh, and Harry is just a sniveling coward. Yeah. Uh, we find out that uh, the goblin uh, and Norman have become aware of each other. We get a really cool precursor to the Gollum Schmeagol scene from <laughs> the Two Towers, where uh, Willem Dafoe faces off in a mirror. And I gotta be honest, he is masterful in that scene in oscillating between Norman and the Goblin. And I... Okay, I'm going to break for a second from this movie. And part of the reason we're doing this series is characters from past Spider-Man movies are showing up in the trailer for the new Spider-Man film. Mm -hmm. And it is rumored, it is heavily rumored and alluded to that previous Spider-Man might appear in this movie. Nice. So, as we're watching these movies leading into the, to the new Spider-Man movie, there is a possibility that previous characters will arrive because the multiverse is being formed. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited at that prospect, specifically because characters like J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson and possibly, not confirmed, but possibly Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin could show up. And I would love that. Um, because Willem Dafoe does such a good job in this movie. In such an unbelievable character. Like, in the worst way. This is not how I could see someone actually being mad. But in this movie, it is such a fun character that I want this character to come back. And so, he... Green Goblin decides, hey, I'm going to go after Spider-Man. It's the only other superhero. Again, old comic book movie rule. There's only one superhero. So, yeah. Um, the Green Goblin's like, hey, I'm going to go after this guy. We're going to team up. Or I'm going to kill him. One of the two. And so, uh, Green Goblin bombs the Daily Bugle. Uh, something that never, ever comes back. The Bugle offices are always fine, even after he blew up a wall after this. <laughs> um and uh, Spider-Man goes to save James Jameson, gets kidnapped by the Goblin. The Goblin says, hey, uh, team up with me. We could be extraordinary. We could run this town, or we could kill each other fighting. And so, and then he just lets him go. And the whole city is kind of like, hey, are these two working together? Even though there's no evidence, because Green Goblin obviously kidnapped Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, later the cops are going to arrest Spider-Man for what? I don't know. The, the, maybe for the murder of the guy in the warehouse that one <laughs> night? Um, I would love to have seen follow-up on that. It's completely forgotten about. Yeah. Um, but Spider-Man saves a woman's baby, um, in a scene that's actually really good, actually Kind of powerful, a little silly, but good. <laughs> Goes back up to rescue what sounds like an old lady, fights the Green Goblin in the building, mm -hmm. um, and then basically tells the Goblin, "Yeah, we're not, we're not going to be partners." Yeah. Uh, gets wounded in the altercation, gets away, 
uh, and we cut over. Apparently, it's Thanksgiving. No decorations in the city, but apparently it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> Why the earlier thing wasn't a Thanksgiving parade, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and why World Unity Day would have been right before Thanksgiving, I don't know. Uh, apparently, this movie takes place over months. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, <laughs> go to Thanksgiving at uh, Harry and Peter's place. Uh, Norman shows up looking like he just dropped acid. Just, uh, <laughs> and I'd like to think this is Mark Burdett headcanon. That's not a part of the movie. That was Willem Dafoe getting into character and going through his process to be crazy. <laughs> and they just caught it on film. And and Sam Raimi was like, did we get that? Tell me we got that. We're putting that in the movie. And he goes, he goes to Willem and he's like, Will? And he's like, hold on a second. Yeah, what's up, Sam? And he goes, hey, I caught you getting into character. Are you okay if I put this in the movie? He's like... You mean where I was doing the kind of like eye roll thing after I after I dropped that acid before the take? And he's like, Yeah, are you are you okay? He's like, I can't be prosecuted for that, right? He's like, Nah, man, we're we're in Jersey City. The cops are doing that stuff. He goes, All right, we'll be fine then. And uh, and so I like to think that that was that was not supposed to be in the movie, but totally was. Anyhow. We get into the scene where it is a, a weird kind of folksy. Aunt May throughout this whole movie seems like she is trying to play Aunt B from Andy Griffith. <laughs> but she she's like, Alright, we're going to we're gonna have a traditional Thanksgiving dinner in this loft apartment for friends. And uh, and all of a sudden they hear the thud of Peter coming back as Spider-Man, go up to investigate. He's not there because he can't get caught yet. Uh, and so they sit down to dinner. And all of a sudden they discover that he's Peter. Uh, Goblin discovers that Peter's Spider-Man because of the scratch on his arm. Even though the scratch could have been literally anything. Like it wasn't. Uh... It wasn't a very distinctive scratch. It was a straight line scratch. Yeah. Oh, I got caught in the rose bush. Now, that said... I personally like to think it wasn't deduction so much as just dumb luck on the Goblin's part because he is so crazy. Had he run into anyone, anyone that had a scratch on that arm, he would have been like, that's Spider-Man. Could have been a woman and he would have been like, that's Spider-Man. 10-year-old kid. He's like, well, he sounds like a kid. I guess he's (laughs) Spider-Man. Uh, anyhow, uh, he decides after that that he's going to go for the heart. And so he goes and attacks um, Aunt May uh, while she's doing the Lord's Prayer in front of a picture of Uncle Ben. Uh, <laughs> and so apparently Willem Dafoe and Rosemary Harris, uh, the actress who plays Aunt May, had previously done a movie where I'm guessing it was something akin to The Crucible where he's asking for forgiveness or something and she's just yelling at him while he prays uh and and he he was like i got to get revenge and she's like deliver us deliver us and he's like finish it screaming at her she's like from evil and so such a weird 
it's a weird scene, but it is so Sam Raimi. If you've seen any of any of the Army of Darkness or uh, Evil Dead movies, they are so they're horror movies, but they're horror movies that are cheesy and low budget, and that's Sam Raimi's specialty. And I would have loved to have seen had he gone more into that side of things. I would have loved to have seen a version of this movie where he literally psychologically tortured Aunt May. And, and that actually carried longer than them bringing her into the hospital and she's just losing her mind. And that honestly would have been an interesting through line to carry through of we've kept your aunt sedated. She, every time she wakes up, she is freaking out. But again... That would have been re- bringing reality into this movie yeah. that has no reality. Because while Aunt May is quote-unquote asleep, pretending to be asleep, because she has to she has to drop her old person pearls of wisdom here in a minute, <laughs> she hears Peter give a mono- monologue to Mary Jane about why Spider-Man thinks she's the greatest. <laughs> And when she wakes up, she's like, "Oh, are you are you kidding with him, Jay? Yes, that that Harry Osborne, he's a real piece of dirt. Why don't you go make it with MJ?" And it's like, "Aunt May, that's a really weird thing to say. I guess you got over being psychologically tortured by the only supervillain in the city." Anyhow, ah, oh, god. He finds out from. He finds out from Aunt May that everyone knows that Peter's got a crush on MJ. So he calls Mary Jane, who has apparently been kidnapped by the Green Goblin. And we go off to the bridge for our final face-off. And uh, as a fan of Spider-Man at this point, we get a lot of heavy imagery of the Green Goblin, the, the... I'm trying to figure out if it's the George Washington Bridge or the Brooklyn Bridge... Anyhow, one of these is the bridge where uh, Gwen Stacy in the comic books, uh, who was Spider-Man's girlfriend at the time, was kidnapped by the Green Goblin and then subsequently killed in the altercation. So this imagery is really powerful imagery. Uh, The Goblin's kidnapped Mary Jane, uh, and he's going to make Spider-Man choose between saving kids on this tramway that he's holding up or MJ. Spider-Man saves the day. Uh, in the process uh, is hurt uh, and knocked over to an altercation. It's it's a really great scene. Uh, some really weird uh, post 9-11 you mess with one of us New Yorkers you mess with all of us New Yorkers <laughs> and uh, it, it's a point in time. Uh, this is the movie comes out less than a year after 9-11. Uh, literally trailer shots for this movie were of the World Trade Center. Yeah were out for less than two months before 9-11 happened and they pulled those trailers. Um, so, I'm just kind of briefly going over the, the, the scene. As soon as the Green Goblin pulls Spider-Man away, they go to this deserted, I guess it's like this middle island between the two. It looks like a deserted like <laughs> mental institution. Um, where we get honestly a really powerful fight scene between uh the green goblin and spider-man and uh 
this scene and a scene I, I glossed over. There's a fight scene where where Spider-Man saves MJ for a second time. They have the upside down kiss. Those those two scenes, the fight scene in the rain, and then this fight scene, are the two moments where Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, not the Spider-Man costume moving around. Tobey Maguire mm-hmm. as Spider-Man is believable to me as Spider-Man. Those are the only two moments where when it's not the full mask Spider-Man costume, not Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, the, the Spider-Man costume, or Tobey Maguire is Spider-Man. And I'm like, I believe it. I believe you in this moment. Anytime he's he's Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker, I'm like, oh man, really? Yeah. Uh, can you put the costume back on? Because you're really bumming me out right now. And, oh, uh, uh, and she likes you? Oh man. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, Spider-Man, Peter Parker fights Norman as the Goblin, uh, fights him, beats him, beats him to a pulp. Uh, Goblin tries to pull a fast one, and Peter dodges the last minute. The Goblin then paled on his own uh, glider, um, just like in the comic books. Uh, and we do the Paramount thing that every superhero movie does up to this point. We kill the bad guy. Uh, Every superhero movie up to this point kills the bad guy. And it's like, man, don't you think it'd be fun in a later movie or TV series or anything if we had this guy locked up and he could come back? Nope. Okay, we'll just kill him. (laughs) Anyhow. uh, So we go... uh, Norman's last words as he's bleeding out on the glider don't tell Harry and Harry uh, Harry's coming home and he finds Spider-Man putting Norman into the bed uh, naked without the goblin gear uh, and thinks Spider-Man killed his dad with some good reason because he's standing over the body and at no point leaves a note that says your dad committed suicide I'm sorry I found him or anything like that and so now Spider-Man is justly wanted for murder, (laughs) at least by Harry. No one else, uh, consequently, in further movies, thinks he's guilty of uh, murder. But, yeah. Uh, But Mary Jane comes up to Peter at the funeral, and uh, at this point, apparently having broken up with Harry, uh, at his dad's funeral goes up and tries to pick up Peter. And I made the note to Betsy while we were watching it. I'm like, even if, even if I'm in this situation as Peter, I've got to see all the red flags outside of the whole superhero, supervillain red flag. And even if you're into this girl and you're willing to overlook the supervillain thing, I'd be like, girl... You've traded hands with men so many times and have been an accessory. I think you need some time by yourself. You need some you time to, to figure out who you are yeah. before you jump into anything. Because, and, and I feel really bad for Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst is a phenomenal performer. Uh, Fargo season two um, on FX, she is great in that um she is phenomenal in interview with vampire jumanji Mm -hmm. uh she is great in uh a 
ton of stuff. In the Spider-Man movie, she is relegated to, she is, she's an accessory. She's, she's not a person. Mm-hmm. And, and I really wish in this moment, instead of Peter being like, my villains would use, I, I'm sorry, I can't. And then to himself, my villains would use her to get to me. Yeah. I really wish he'd been like, girl, you need to figure out who you are before we can do anything. Yeah. Uh, but instead, it's, again, it's that nerdy guy wish fulfillment, and uh, I feel so bad for the Mary Jane character. <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, again, reality in an unreality, this is a fantasy, and you have to appreciate that. And we get a really cool scene with Spider-Man swinging, and he lands on the American flag and swings out, and that's the end of the movie. And we end with... Danny Elfman's score, which leads into a Chad Kroger song. That is, man, it ages this movie. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie more than I thought I would. And also, I feel every one of its flaws so much. Yeah. And with all that said, does it hold a candle to the, to the modern day movies? No. Not remotely. Is it worth watching as a historic piece of cinema as a fun piece of standalone cinema yeah i think it's it's a great time capsule of hey in 2002 this is where superhero movies were yeah and i think it's great for that um but i think back on so most people their views on a lot of things are affected by TV and film. And if your view of how to treat women comes from a movie like this, I'm like, ew. Yeah. And I'm glad that's improving, but I'm just like, ew. (laughs) So, anyhow. I I enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the next couple movies. I'm, I'm looking forward to revisiting the ups and the downs of the next two movies. Because uh, I'm going to say right now, going into this trilogy as a rewatch, this is my favorite in my memory of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. Uh, two, I remember enjoying when I saw it, but feeling like when I left the theater going, that was it? <laughs> and then three, I left and I was so disappointed because it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And now I feel the freedom to watch these movies for what they are while still pointing at the flaws and going, yeah, that kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of sucks. I enjoyed that fun part, but man, that kind of sucked. But also knowing that that's not all the Spider-Man we're going to get. And I'm excited by that. And and the promise that more Spider-Man can come. And it doesn't, even if we get bad Spider-Man at some point, more Spider-Man's going to come. And so... Guys, I hope you enjoyed sitting with us through this, hearing me nerd out, and at the same <laughs> time be be frustrated by 2002 filmmaking, um, but also understanding it's 2002 filmmaking. Yeah. Um, and somehow, believe it or not, uh, it was worse before this script. Uh, you can look that script up. Uh, it's bad. It's really bad. I, I will let you look it up for yourself, but... Uh, things like Dr. Octopus calls himself Spider-Man. Uh, yeah. 
there's there's all kinds of crazy stuff. Anyhow, guys, thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, we'll be back next week with Spider-Man 2, followed by Spider-Man 3, the editor's cut. Uh, Bobby has an opinion. She said she loves Tobey Maguire, but she wishes that they had treat, treated the female characters better. Um, so, she ran away. Yeah. So, guys, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll be back next week with Spider-Man 2, uh, followed by Spider-Man 3, the editor's cut. Then we'll be hitting Ghostbusters, followed by the rest of the Spider-Man films leading into Spider-Man No Way Home. Guys, thank you so much. We will see you next week. Bye.